0: Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on John, Believe. Hi, I'm Nick. I'm the worship pastor here at the Cross, and uh, today I have the privilege of teaching through John chapter 10 as we continue in our series going through the book of John. So grab your notebook if you have one, grab your Bible, and we're going to dive into this. Let's pray as we get started. Father, we thank you for today, God, that we can seek you in these moments, Father. We pray that your word comes alive to us, God, that you speak to us in the depths of our heart, Father, that we would move closer to you, Father. We love you in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So Kara Bloomquist, who is our volunteer coordinator and does a hundred other things here, Her and I were having this conversation uh, a couple weeks ago about making our kids good gift receivers. Um, It's a funny thing that we try to teach our kids, right? Because we don't want our kids to be rude and embarrass us, maybe. Um, But it's tough to teach a kid because a kid is so black and white that they're going to react immediately on whether they're excited or totally disappointed. And uh, they're struggling with that now. Now, Lisa and I, our kids are older, and so we've gone through this teaching process. And Julia, who's now 16, she got down real early because I think that she realized if I receive gifts well, people will like to give me gifts. And so, very early on, she really began to be so thankful anytime anybody gave her absolutely anything. It took a little while longer for Natalie to learn this, but she did learn and now is an exceptional gift receiver. Um, But I remember before Natalie, uh, when Julie was about two, and we found out that we were pregnant with Natalie. And this was pre-Pinterest, so you actually had to be creative on your own. Um, We were trying to figure out how we're going to reveal this to our parents and other people. And so we, we probably stole this idea, to be honest. But we went to the mall, and we embroidered on a hat Big Sister. And so we had this big plan. We're going to wrap this gift, give it to our two-year-old, and she'll open it in front of our parents. And then she'll put it on. They'll be all excited. Everybody will ooh and ah. This was our plan, right? It's a terrible plan, as you'll find out, but it was a plan. Okay? So we went to Lisa's parents' house. We wrap this gift. It's not Julia's birthday. It's not Christmas. She's getting this gift for absolutely no reason. She's pumped. She's getting a gift. She opens it. She looks at it. She's like, oh, okay, a hat. She wears it for about 17 seconds and then just puts it to the side, right? And and it worked pretty well there. The parents are all excited. We're, We're good to go. The problem in the plan came from that we were going to see my parents a week later who live an hour and a half away. And we wrapped this gift again for our two-year-old to open in front of my parents. And so play this out in your mind for a second. This two-year-old gets a gift that she really did not like the first time at a time that she was so excited. And now we're giving it to her again. So I just picture in her mind she was sitting there going, Oh, yes, this will make up for that crappy gift I got earlier. And so in front of my parents, she opens it up, looks down and in her mind. I don't know how a two-year-old says this, but she says, you gotta be kidding me. And verbally she goes, uh, and throws the hat across the room. This was her honest response to what was happening, right? And I can't really blame her. We said there was much better ways for us to do that, right? So the best laid plan sometimes goes sideways in this, but it's good to be a good gift receiver. And we honestly train ourselves so well on how we respond and how we react to receiving a gift that when we become adults, sometimes we even are good at hiding our cynicism towards that gift, or even our skepticism on why we're receiving it if it's not a normal place we receive gifts and so to like lisa and i one time we were given a an amazing gift from someone i've never received a gift from before or after this they gave us a cruise that included a plane flight a night in a hotel uh the whole cruise in a room with a balcony and then the plane flight back everything was paid for it didn't cost us anything and two of our best friend couples got to go with us and i remember getting that gift and going I wonder what favor I'm going to be asked for later because I was the one chosen for this gift. And and just, you you kind of become cynical and, and you kind of want to control your own world. And so you say, what are the strings attached to this gift? And so today, as we look through John 10, I want you to consider how you receive the gift of God's affection. How do you receive it? Is it difficult for you to receive? Okay, so we're going to jump into John 10 now. The beginning of this chapter, Jesus is giving this analogy as him as the shepherd and his followers as the sheep. And in verse 3, he says, To him, which is the shepherd, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out when he puts forth all All his own. He goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. In there right now, if you just underline, calls his sheep by name and they know his voice. Now let's jump down to seven because see what happens after he describes this, the disciples' reaction is kind of like, huh? What do you mean? We don't get it. And so Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Underline that whole piece. I came. They they may that they may have life and have it abundantly he says i am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep he who is a hired hand is not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them he flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep but i am the good shepherd And I know my own, underline that right there, I know my own and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. There's a a ton of great stuff in here. A couple weeks ago, Tim talked about the sheep gate. And I encourage you to look at that message. It's awesome. And we could go totally into that. But I want you to think about you today and how you receive the affection of the Lord. Okay, let's look at these three things real quick that he is really pressing into. He says, I call you by name. I've given you a name. You hear my voice and you know me. You have a name, an identity given to you by Christ. The second thing is, you are mine. I I know my own. You are mine. See, these hired hands, they run. They run when the wolf comes. But me, you're my own. I'm going to stand between you and death, even when it costs me my life, because you are mine. And finally, I came that you might have life abundantly. You are not settling When you press into the Lord and say, this is the life that I want. This is what you were built for. He's trying to show you what you were designed for, to worship and to be with him in this life right now. So why is it so hard for so many people to accept the the love and affection of God, to move into a life of surrender to him? when he offers this beautiful relationship. It's such a beautiful, heartfelt thing he's saying to us. I think there's a couple of reasons. I think for some of us, our past has twisted our view of love so drastically that not only do we not trust anyone, we don't even love ourselves. And we feel that the only thing we have is this control that we won't let go of. We've been so hurt We've been betrayed by people who said they loved us. And this has twisted our view of love. And it can be a hard thing to get over. Brennan Manning, in a book called The Furious Longing of God, tells this story. And I I love this book. I would love for you to read it. And I feel like this describes The Furious Longing of God. It describes what we're reading here at the beginning of John 10. But he tells this story about doing a retreat for like 7,000 people. And at the end of the night of the service, they open up for prayer and the line is wrapped around the building. And so by the time he's done, he is just exhausted. He goes to his room and he says, I lay down on my bed without even taking any clothes off. I'm just so tired. And then shortly after he lays down, at 3 in the morning, there's a knock on his door. And he opens the door and there's a 78-year-old nun standing there and she asks to speak with him. She begins to tell him the story of how her father sexually abused her from a super young age. At the age of nine, he'd taken her virginity. By 12, she knew of every sexual perversion there is. And this caused her to not only hate her father, but to hate herself and feel so dirty that she was unworthy of love and even, even as a nun, trying to avoid even taking communion unless was absolutely sure that she was, her absence would be noticed. So Brennan prays with her. And then at the end, he says, would you do me a favor? And she agrees. He says, Will you just get on your knees every morning, lift your palms to heaven, and say, Abba, I belong to you. This is an interesting phrase, really comes out of a couple things we see in the Bible. But if you're not familiar with this word, Abba, a lot of us in church are, but um, it's the Hebrew word for like daddy. And see, in Matthew 6, the disciples got rocked by Jesus when they said, teach us how to pray, Lord. And the first thing he does is he says, Abba, because this intimacy, they never thought that they could know with God. As a child would look at their dad and say, Daddy, lift me up. Daddy, hold me. We're speaking to God this way. And I belong to you is what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, You're mine. You're mine. You know, this also comes out of Song of Solomon where it said, I am my beloved's and he is mine. So she agrees. She goes home. She's praying this. You see, as as a nun, because of these feelings of, of unworth that she had had, she was working to earn the approval of God and didn't allow herself to just receive the affection of God, to allow the knowledge of the Bible to move from her head to her heart. He writes in the book after telling the story, One of the most moving and poetic follow-up letters I've ever received came from this sister. In it, she described the inner healing of her heart, a complete forgiveness of her father, and an inner peace that she'd never known in her 78 years. She concluded her letter with these words, A year ago, I would have signed this letter, with my real name in religious life, Sister Mary Genevieve. But from now on, I'm Daddy's little girl. You see, allowing God to minister to her, she started to really believe what Jesus was saying. I am yours. It is such a a, a chronic, we are so addicted to information. And for so many people, we gather all this biblical knowledge so I can I can recite it in my Bible study or in in the small group that I'm in and say all these things, but I never let it move to my heart. And this only comes with allowing Jesus to minister to you. These aren't, it's not a magic phrase. He was just saw in her, you need to allow God to minister to you and move to a place of really believing. Abba, I belong to you. You see, we have an identity crisis in the Christian world. See, your identity is where you get your sense of self and where you get your sense of worth. And for many people, even in doing good things, like if I'm a Christian and I feed the homeless, it can shift into, I get my worth, but from this. This is what people know me for, and I start to be the guy who feeds the homeless, And man, it makes me feel good. Everybody tells me what a great thing I'm doing. And you lose your place of being first a child of God. It's a good thing, but we must keep this first. He must be at the top of our priorities. And see, we live in a very individualistic culture, and that's very different than the Eastern culture. And there are great things that come with that. But one of the odd things we say to young people and to other things is, hey, you need to figure out your identity. And that is so chaotic. And so for most people, what that turns out to be is whatever you do, right? This is your job. I mean, that's the first question we ask somebody when we're getting to know them, right? What do you do? And so this becomes what, how we identify ourselves. In its slippery, slippery slope, Tim Keller says this, We try to prove our purpose of our existence by what we achieve, what we make the... We make the quality of our work the measure of our worth. See, if your identity is achieved rather than received, you end up looking down on people who can't do as much as you. Or you end up in a cycle of trying to catch up and do so many things because this is where I find my worth. It's a terrible cycle. You can't give yourself identity. You must receive it from someone worth giving it to you. And only that is Jesus. Believe you belong to him, that you are a child of God. You must be given your identity. I think the second reason it becomes difficult for us to receive the affection of the Lord is we, we believe we've disqualified ourselves by the things we've done in the past or maybe the things we keep doing. We, we, we don't know our Bible well enough or we know our inner thoughts so well that we disqualify ourselves. We hear Jesus say these things and we just say, I'm just not a sheep. I don't think Jesus even desires me to be a sheep because I, I continually screw things up. Okay? We need to read our Bible, we need to know our Bible. So many people. Let's just take David for a second. Okay? David, as king of Israel, rapes a woman, she becomes pregnant. Then he effectively has her husband murdered to cover it up. And then moves to a place, because of accountability of a friend, moves to a place of violent repentance and seeking the Lord. And then in Acts they say, he's a man after God's own heart. Do not disqualify yourself. Know the scripture. This is a problem in America, is we outsource our biblical knowledge to preachers speakers podcasters and youtubers we want to filter all of this knowledge through that instead of going straight to the source first you don't know what you're hearing is even truth unless you know this and so often we say um we hear from people i I want to hear the voice of god how do people do that well here's a whole book of it Seek it and read it because the culture itself has told us this. Uh, it's, it's like the neutral system of spiritual growth plans. Just come in, ship it to my house. I'll eat what needs to be eaten so I can get the results that I want. So we come in, we say, feed me, pastor. Or I w- listen to a podcast and say, just feed me this way alone. And I expect to grow in intimacy with the Lord. And it will actually do exactly the opposite. You will know, just enough to keep yourself miserable. Read The word, know it well. The study is freeing the word, it's alive. You have not gone too far to disqualify yourself, accept the affection of Jesus. A buddy of mine um, was recently telling a story about his battle with addiction. And I was studying for this message at the time. And he brought something to life that I thought was going to be meaningless in my study in the midst of his story. He's living on the streets, homeless, lost in his addiction, and he gets this infection in his legs, in the skin in his legs, and it gets so bad, he ends up calling his dad, who he had betrayed so many times, and said, Dad, there's something really wrong. I feel like my ankles are broken. I, I need help. Will you help me? And his dad comes and picks him up, takes him to a meal for the first time he hadn't eaten in days. Brings him in the hospital. And in the hospital, he violently repents and says, Lord, I'm terrible at running my own life. Save me, God. And the Lord interferes. The Lord was seeking him out. Just like David says, in the Psalms, where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, it's a word for hell. Behold, you are there. You're seeking after me. I've done these terrible things, and you're still there, so faithful to come after me. You see, I learned this thing about what a shepherd does when a sheep is constantly roaming. When a sheep roams away and roams away, the shepherd will come up to it and break its leg and then carry it around everywhere it needs to go until that leg heals. This teaches this sheep something very important. This shepherd provides my every need. He lays me in this green pasture of tall grass so that I can nourish my body. He puts me close enough to the river where I can drink. He carries me around on his shoulder and we are like one. He gives me everything I want and they say when that leg heals that she won't leave the shepherd's side. And I looked at my friend after he told the story and I say, God broke your leg. He disrupted the things that were going on so you could lay in that hospital room and say, "Lord, I'm done with this." It's so beautiful and challenging to us. I I think the third thing is is we think the cost is too high to accept the full affection of Jesus and move into an abundant life because we want to do the things we want to do. And honestly, this is a great question to ask. Jesus told us to ask it. And he challenged several people who wanted to follow him with this question in many ways. But in, In Luke 14, he says, Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You need to die to your own ambitions and desires to seek the Lord, understanding that he is better, that he is wiser. And for some of us, it's a tough decision because we like taking the wheel of our lives. So we maneuver around the good things, Jesus says, put our toe in the water of having a knowledge of him, but we don't totally surrender and move in and really experience the abundant life that he calls us to. Because see, what I can promise you is the life he's calling you into is so worth it. You're built for it. And as you maneuver inside that life, you begin to realize things like the commands He has put on your life are not commandments at all, really. There's safeguards and protections because he's trying to save you from the chaos of this world because the world has enough trouble. You don't need to cause your own chaos. We think back to David. The chaos that he started with that situation we talked about just infected the family for a long time. The consequences of sin, even in the midst of our forgiveness, are high. And the Lord cares for us so much and wants us to live that abundant life. He's trying to guard us against those things in his affection for us. He stands between us and death. He rips the teeth out of death's mouth and says, these are my children. You won't have them. And, you know, I I look back at that story I told you about the nun. And the first time I read that story, I read that she forgave her father, and there was a thing inside me as a dad of two girls that said he does not deserve that. He doesn't deserve forgiveness. I know she needed to forgive, but he doesn't deserve it. There's words for people like him. And then the Lord hit me so hard and said, you don't deserve forgiveness either. It can't be about deserving because we can't earn it. Allow yourself today to receive the affection of the Lord. Let's get this garbage religious stuff out of our head and let it seep into our heart. Soak in the affection of God today. You are his. You are his. Press into your true identity in Christ. Let's pray. Father, my prayer for the people hearing this message is that they would allow their minds, the things in their mind about you, Father, to rest on their heart, God, the truth of who you are to press into their heart. Lord, that we would love you, God, so deeply because we know your affection so highly. Thank you, God, you're so good to us. God, that you seek after us with such passion that you stand between us in death. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your word. We love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for watching the message. Uh, We hope that you really pulled some things out of it. And just know that our desire is for every person, whether you ever step in this building or not. become fully alive in christ yeah we want to see you committed to christ we would love to see you connected to others in a small group and we believe it's important to uh, become a contributing member to the body of christ through uh, sharing your faith uh, as well as financially investing in the work of god that's right and so we pray that you're growing that you're striving forward there's so many resources on the website you watch past messages your testimonies from people we pray that you utilize those. And we hope to see you on a Sunday morning. Hey, make it a great day and enjoy uh, the abundant life in Christ.